and welcome to Birkbeck Voices. My name is Louisa Ackman and today I'm talking to Dr. Jason Edwards, a lecturer in politics here at Birkbeck about populism. So to me, we seem to be living through a resurgence of populism, the success of Trump's presidential campaign in the US, the Brexit vote here in the UK, and most recently Marine Le Pen and the Front National's campaign in France have all been characterised by a rejection of the establishment and the rhetoric of putting power into the hands of people. Why do you think this is and why do you think it's happening now? Well, so there are many reasons, I think, why we've seen this increase in support for what you might broadly call populist positions. Much of it, I think, has has to do with a reaction against what we tend to call globalisation and the way that that has affected, in various ways, um, populations throughout the developed world or the Western world, if you want to call it that. And what you see, uh, certainly in the case of, of Trump, is the move amongst uh, certain members of the industrial or post-industrial working class away from their traditional commitments to the Democratic Party, which of course traditionally has supported the working class and the labour movement in the United States, towards this position articulated, if that's the right word, by Donald Trump, which touches on themes to do with economic nationalism, protection, the promise of the revival of a United States in which that industrial working class, uh, or middle class actually as it often sees itself, uh, had an important role to play. And we can trace similar sort of movements across Europe as well. Um, Brexit is a slightly different question, but maybe we can address that in another vein. So in the UK, we've had Brexit, but we're in the middle of a general election too. Do you think populism will play a part in the campaigns here? It already is. I think both in the Conservative Party and the Labour Party. So you have seen very clearly Theresa May adopting populist tropes in her approach towards Brexit. Um, Very clearly what she said last week about the European Commission uh, sounded very much uh, like something Nigel Farage might say. Um, And of course we more readily identify UKIP and, and Farage, and Farage, Farageism, if there is such a thing, with those populist positions. So I think there's very clearly many senses in which the Conservatives have stolen those populist clothes. Those who supported Remain, it seems to me now, have moved very easily over into the Leave camp and are enthusiastically um, pursuing Britain's exit from the European Union. So there's that kind of populism of the right, which I now think has... Um, very clearly, or is very clearly, shaping the agenda towards Brexit in the Conservative Party. But don't forget Labour. And Jeremy Corbyn and John McDonnell and others in Labour, I think quite consciously, have tried to forge an idea of a left-wing populism that appeals to working people, ordinary people, but also has kind of nationalist Overturns. I mean, you can see that in the very half-hearted way in which Jeremy Corbyn um, supported the uh, Remain camp in the referendum. And indeed, the way that many uh, Labour MPs on the left who want to make an appeal to their traditional working class constituency actually quite often 
emphasised and stressed the uniqueness and the importance of, of national identity and, and British identity. Um, it's there on the left as well. Um, and that mirrors, of course, the way in which populism can be seen rising both on the right and the left across Europe over the course of the last, well, what do we say? I mean, at least the last, last decade. So um, you see both the, the nationalist far right, like the Front National in France, but also then you have these populist themes very clearly at play in movements like Podemos in Spain and Syriza in Greece. Um, and could you talk a little bit about your research of, into populism um, in terms of sovereign sovereignty and control? Well, this then brings in slightly more abstract themes to do with the character of sovereignty. And again, what we see populists playing on is a version of sovereignty that does indeed talk about this notion of control, that somehow by reclaiming sovereignty, we are able to control our own affairs. And this very clearly had a significant appeal to those who voted for, for Brexit. There was an image that we had gone beyond the point at which we could shape our own destiny, that we are subject to the laws of the European Union that are made by people at a distance uh, who don't really understand or care about the interests of the, the British people. So whether you call it sovereignty or control, that theme was at the centre and continues to be at the centre of much populist thought. Now there are all kinds of problems that come in here um, because what does sovereignty mean? You have many different and contested views of what sovereignty is. Traditionally in political theory, of course, from the 16th and 17th century in political theory, what sovereignty has to do with is the unquestioned power of the sovereign to govern a territory with no higher authority constraining what they can do. And that's the sense of sovereignty that we continue to find in much political discourse and in much legal discourse. But of course we will live in a world where there are no sovereigns in that sense, and there can't be because of the very deep interconnections that there are between states, but also because of the way in which power within states rests on the interaction that takes place between a very large plurality of different uh, groups that have certain social and economic and cultural interests and values and, and so on. So we don't live in a world of sovereignty, or at least we don't live in a world of sovereigns, but we continue to think that we live in a world where sovereignty is possible as control of our own affairs. Now, you might say, well, actually I don't mean, when I talk about sovereignty and control, I don't mean complete control of our destiny. What I mean is something like that, you know, we are able to have more control over our own destiny. And I think, fair enough, you can talk in those terms. But then we have to move away from this myth and idea that simply by leaving the European Union, for example, that we reclaim control of our, our destiny. You don't reclaim control of your destiny through these kind of institutional means. Um, you have to accept that we live in an interdependent world before you can get back some control over your own affairs. So I think one of the paradoxes of the hard Brexit position is that in fact by withdrawing from the European Union in that way and having a clean break, we will have less control over our destiny than we did before. That's very interesting. Um, do you think that populism is something we should be worried about, 
even as we've seen in France, where it dominates a lot of the conversation, but then doesn't win? Well, there's two things. Firstly, for most people, as clearly is reflected in the result of the French presidential election, for the majority, the kind of populism presented by Marine Le Pen is not acceptable. Uh, and you can think of the reasons why it's not acceptable. Um, it may be that it rests on a great deal of misinformation. It may be that it rests on a great deal of hostility towards immigrants, foreigners, the other. And that's clearly put off a great number of people who are not necessarily natural supporters of Emmanuel Macron or a liberal, neoliberal position. So, in that sense, uh, there is clearly a movement to reject populism. But the problem is, of course, in rejecting Marine Le Pen or Geert Wilders or rejecting Nigel Farage or Donald Trump, you are, in a sense, implying that their supporters are somehow stupid. They don't know what they're doing, they don't know what they're saying, and it's very easy to dismiss these populist figures as not the brightest. But then, of course, that has the implication that you're uh, dismissing their, their supporters. So I think it's also very clearly the case that we have to try and understand where the discontent of those who support populists come from, comes from. And Unquestionably, some of it comes from a relatively small number of the population who are overtly racist or fascist or extreme nationalists. But a significant amount of that support clearly has to do with what we were talking about at the beginning, and that is the effects of globalisation, so-called, and in particular the social and economic consequences of the Great Recession of 2007-2008, which we are still very clearly living with today. So an anti-populist movement has got to find a way, on the one hand, of opposing the populist figureheads and demagogues, but on the other hand, of addressing and trying to uh, attract the support of the leaders, sorry, of the followers of those, those populist movements. And how you do that, of course, is extremely difficult to uh, to think about how you achieve it um, but you know I suspect it is achievable but it requires some responsibility on the part of what we tend to think of as the, the governing elites Thank you very much for joining us today it'll be interesting to see what happens as we get closer to the polling date here in the UK Thank you